0: Happy New Year and welcome back to the Exchange for Entrepreneurs podcast. This is your host, James Black, and this is going to be a different year for the Exchange for Entrepreneurs podcast. After producing the show for a few years now, I I think we've decided to take a specific approach to the show, and that's to park ourselves firmly at the intersection of where entrepreneurship meets the public markets. We're going to spend our time on the show talking to the people that you will find at this intersection, whether it be executives, investors, or other influencers in the world of investing finance and business the goal of every conversation will be the same and that'll be to uncover new insights on entrepreneurship and investing that can power your own decisions and actions in the market so the guest i have today cam shell he's probably the best person i could have brought on to be our debut guest of 2023 if you look at some of the biggest stories of 2022 whether it be the collapse of ftx or the war in ukraine you can rest assured cam had a front row seat in the action it's a fascinating conversation and a stark reminder about how quickly things can change when the world undergoes stress. So without further ado, welcome back to the show. It's 2023, and we can't wait to share more with you in the coming year. My guest today, is Cameron Shell from Business Instincts Group, uh, big and many pl- multitude of companies that we'll talk about in a minute, but I want to get into the, the heart of what Cam's been up to. Cam, welcome to the show. It's been a couple of years and a lot has changed since we last spoke. It was the onset of the pandemic. And uh, you tell me, I mean, from that point to where we are today, you've done a lot of things. What are you most excited or, or interested to share today about what has happened since we last talked two years ago on this show?
1: Yeah, well, first of all, thanks, James, for having us. And thanks to the CSE for the support of the Canadian entrepreneur, well, the global entrepreneur um, out there. The, we are big fans of the CSE and love, love what you do. Um, there are a lot of things to be excited about. Uh, certainly, 22 was, uh, was a challenging year on lots of fronts. Uh, but I think, you know, when, one of the things that, uh, that keeps me awake in a good way uh, each night right now uh, is the speed of innovation. Uh, that is happening uh, in in the aerospace and in drone industry in particular, uh, because of what's going on in Ukraine. And it's been an incredible experience uh, to see how innovation paths change uh, between uh, you know given different circumstances. So we saw innovations uh, come into uh, innovation paths come into light as the pandemic was moving in, which is probably right around the last time we were talking. And and that was like a very interesting shift to see. You know, where budgets and how approvals happened and what was most important and, and how your product development had to, you know, adjust accordingly. And then as that subsided, and then we see things like ha- what's happening in Ukraine, you know, how that is, you know, even accelerated that further. And so uh, to, to me, the, the dynamic of product development has really been probably the most exciting thing that I've been learning uh, more and more, you know, as old as I am. It's just like, oh, my <laughs> gosh, this is an entire new learning cycle and, uh, and, and and pretty amazing what can be done when it has to get done.
0: Absolutely. And so what I would surmise from that is that you, you're mentioning um, these innovation paths and, and these stresses in the world in the global market. Ah, uh, first the pandemic, which obviously we were on a, a streaming platform right now recording this. There was nothing working quite like this uh, two or three years ago. I remember we were doing zoom calls and stuff, and now we're light years ahead uh, on this platform. I, I can attest to that. Uh, but you're talking about the Ukraine, and that was a year ago, uh, just just under a year ago, um, you know, Russia invaded Ukraine and you had the guts to to take your business dragonfly into that space, literally airspace. Um, to uh, pilot these drones and maybe just tell our guests, you know, what your motivation was to go into that uh, environment at that time and and your mission and maybe sort of the things that you've now developed uh, as a result of it.
1: Yeah. So Dragonfly is, uh, you know, often referred to as the oldest commercial drone manufacturer (laughs) in the world. It's been around since the late nineties uh, you know, small Canadian company. Uh, you know, but but you know, no other North American drone manufacturers survived that long. But but our focus, typically, we're in a lot of industries, but typically has been in public safety. And in fact, the a Dragonfire drone was the first drone that was ever credited with saving a human life uh, in a search and rescue mission. And today, that drone sits in on permanent display in in the Smithsonian. So uh, we there it was. A, it was an inbound call from an NGO. A U.S. uh, non-government organization that was working in the Ukraine, they had heard about a project that we were doing in Texas called DFR, Drone as a First Responder. Mm -hmm. And what this is 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 a drone. It's a. It's a. Actually, it's two drone systems that, when a nine-one-one call comes in, um, is instead of just you know trucks rolling, uh, you know, to the nine-one-one call, what happens at the same time is a drone. Also gets there, and it gets there—you know—twelve to fifteen minutes quicker on average than than the trucks get there. And it provides uh, visual observation. It provides uh, situational awareness, really reconnaissance. You know, is it a false alarm? Uh, do we need more resources? Is there a crowd? What's the extent of the injuries? Those types of things. So uh, it's been a, it's been wildly successful in the U.S. Uh, just because of the ROI, just in terms of turning trucks around you know, 25% of the time or whatever it is, you know, because it's a false alarm. And um, uh, and then there's a second drone system that can be deployed immediately as well that has a temperature-sensitive or temperature-managed box on it uh, that can deliver things like insulin or pharmaceuticals or different blood types or, or things, you know, where it t- typically takes – 23 to 38 minutes for an ambulance to get additional uh, blood supply or different equipment or, or EpiPens or whatever simple often uh, to the site drone gets it there in seven to 12 minutes. Um, And so we were working with um, uh, the EMS in Texas uh, to stand this system up. And, and, and this is, this is a big push for Dragonfly, uh, over the next decade. It'll be, it'll be, it's a massive multi-billion dollar market and a really important market. And so we were, we were, uh, reached out to by, uh, revived soldiers, Ukraine that said, Hey, we just bought 30 ambulances and they're either getting shot, confiscated, blown up, taken away, <laughs> roadblocked. We can't get into these besieged cities. You know, yeah. you've got this temperature sensitive box. We've got to get insulin into these places. Can we use your drones? And that was the beginning of, um, it's even I even get emotional just thinking about it. That was the beginning of like our company, just everybody, everybody standing up and just going, "Yeah, we're going to yeah. make this happen." So, so we deployed three drones there immediately just for testing and learning. Uh, they then bought five more, and you know we've had thirty and forty different uh, types of uh, you know units now over in there, whether they're uh, reconnaissance drones or delivery drones or the big, the big, big push now was mine detection drones, which we developed.
0: Yeah, I know. And I want to hear more, but I just I just want to interject, you know, not to editorialize, but it's pretty cool when your your use case for your product is to save lives and yeah. to, uh, to <laughs> you know, take take what might not have been a vital situation and make it vital again. Um, I just want to go in your mind a bit, though. I mean, you were on the ground filming in Ukraine, what, March of last year, February of last year? I mean, it was shockingly soon after the invasion, I believe. And um, I just want to get into sort of your mindset as an entrepreneur as to why you're okay taking that risk. Uh, why were you okay going there and, and doing that when so many people were trying to get out?
1: Yeah. So, so I was lucky enough to make a couple trips in there uh, last year. Uh, our teams have been over there several times and we've got active teams that are on rotation now uh, and, and and we'll continue to increase our presence there in a, in a big, big way. Um, you, you know, I think that if um uh, not, uh, you know, I think to the, the bottom line is, is, you need, you know, when you're developing product and you're doing something that important, you need to be where your customers are. And, you know, I put customers in quotation marks because it's these are much more customers uh, to <laughs> us. Uh, but the reality is you need to be there on a number of levels. One, to see how your product works. Lots of times it's not just about the technology. It's about the process. It's about the nuances. It's about understanding, like, you know you put a drone up in ukraine and it can be shot down by anybody nobody trusts Mm -hmm. how that you know so understand building those lines of communication building the protocols for how it can fly where it can fly you know what are the jamming techniques like things that technology can't solve but hands-on work has to be there doing it and then as in fact much more importantly you know, showing the commitment and the trust so um you, you know you you if, if you're going to expect people to use your product in those situations and have their lives rely on it, I think that as a company we need to put ourselves in that same situation and demonstrate our commitment you know to do that same thing. And so you know we, we, we've built trust there and we'll hopefully we'll continue to build trust there but but it, you know you can't do that via Zoom call, uh, any of that. You, you've got to be there working with it. And then, you know, as a leader of a company, if you if I'm going to expect any of our employees or contractors or such to be over there, I'm not going to ask them or ask their or their wives or their husbands to be OK with their wives or husbands being there or their dads or moms, mm. you
0: know,
1: unless I'm willing to do it, too. So, um, yeah, that's an important, that's a, just a really important part of uh, you know company culture and, and product development.
0: Yeah, lead by doing. And I assume that wasn't an easy conversation with your family either. (laughs) Uh, Yeah. Okay. Uh, Where do you you see this project going? I mean, obviously, there's still conflict. We just heard about, uh, obviously, some, uh, you know, counter offensive uh, activity in the regions. And, um, you know, this isn't going away anytime soon. I assume you guys are there for the long haul, or at least your product is and and you guys are going to continue to help support that situation.
1: Yeah, well, we're, we're, we're fervent believers uh, in the cause, uh, so, so we're not going anywhere. Uh, you know, we're, we're there in support of freedom, and, and we believe that uh, the freedom's at stake here, and so, so we're really committed uh, long-term in that regard. Um, the, the use cases for drones in particular have, have expanded and opened up. Uh, So much. So now we're doing, you know, mind detection work and we're, you know, we're doing the reconnaissance work. We're doing the delivery work. We're doing like, uh, you know, we're using our vital intelligence technology, which was developed during the pandemic, you know, in search and rescue missions where the drones are actually taking vital signs of people on the ground. Right. To determine triage who needs to be treated first, where to, you know, so it's 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 expanding, uh, uh, you know, week literally weekly. Uh, The other interesting part is the interest that now comes from the rest of the world. So whether it's uh, India or Asia or other parts of the world, um, that see these use cases, you know what they're going to is they're they're looking for organizations again. They just aren't building the technology, but have boots on the ground there and are doing the work. So getting the practical experience, um, the, the, the the Ukrainian drone market now is absolutely the most sophisticated drone market uh, in the world. And and the big advent of this is is not since the introduction of tank in World War One has there been something as disruptive in in likely in warfare. And probably the next biggest disruptive thing will be will be you know in warfare will probably be AI. But at least for the next, you know, five to eight years, you know, drone, drones are it. And the, the very practical reality is, is that in order to basically uh, win a situation or dominate a situation previously, what you really, the, the, the overriding uh, factor was air dominance, right? So if you were able to establish air dominance, you know, whether it's a mission or a war or a battle, that was the, the, the generally the, the a major, if not the major determining factor, well, now pretty much anybody can establish air dominance from ten thousand feet down because you can do it with ten thousand or twenty thousand or thirty thousand dollar drones. Where before mm-hmm. you needed multi million dollar platforms to be able to establish air dominance. Now above ten thousand feet, you still need that you know that type of, um, uh, of budget and such. But but the battles happen below ten thousand feet, and that's where all the reconnaissance is happening. That's where so it, it's completely changed tactics. So now we see global budgets you know, shifting very quickly into these small UAS platforms uh, that, that really the, the, the essence is to establish air dominance. So whether that's reconnaissance, whether it's delivery, whether it's troop movement, whether it's, uh, you, you know, delivering blood on the battlefield, whatever the case is, that can all now be done by this, by these drones. And, and so it, it's really quite limitless. Uh, and it, it will establish uh, the global drone market in terms of, um, you know, public safety. Uh, for the coming decade, what happens over the next number of years in Ukraine.
0: Yeah. And hopefully the use case isn't always predicated by the use of, or needs of a war or a conflict. Um, I, it comes to mind just the other night when there was a situation at a NFL football game. I, I can't imagine anyone doesn't know how it happened on Monday night football and the athlete collapsed on the field and had a heart attack yeah. basically. And oh, I'm wondering, you know, if there's any scenario in your mind with some of the technology you use where monitoring vitals, and I do know you have some products in that space where, Um, If we can just do, uh, you know, in certain cases, uh, uh, apply this technology, whether it's on the sports field or at a conference where, uh, you know, we could avoid a lot of um, needless deaths just by having more insight as to obviously with consent, people's health. I mean, do you see any other opportunities outside of warfare that uh, you're excited about?
1: Oh, for for sure. I mean, I, I mean, public safety is a passion, right? Um, yeah. And 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 so that kind of leads into the non-pointy military stuff that, <laughs> that we do. So we we don't do things that that hurt people or blow people up. No, but, exactly. Uh, and and uh, and 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 we're really comfortable with uh, with that. But but in, but you know, we see our biointelligence technology being used uh, more and more now, and and actually extensively. Um, in things like federal buildings, correction facilities, remote patient monitoring. So literally you and I could be uh, on this call right now and I could be I could turn on our vital intelligence technology and I could be reading your heart rate, your respiratory rate, your blood pressure, your blood oxygen level, your heart rate variability. And so when we think about the implications of that, you know for telemedicine or remote medicine and the cost that that drives down and such and, and again these are all kind of things that kind of came out of the pandemic you, you know th- this is um yeah th- th- these are you know all areas uh where automation i will call it and whether that's machine vision ai but then utilizing the hardware you, you know to actually uh you know be the interface uh it, it's you know we you know we think 15 years ago there wasn't an iPhone like there is today right and <laughs> and 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 where it's going it's exponentially uh uh, uh happening like the, the speed at which uh things are being implemented now uh, which is really interesting to watch that product initiation um path uh change during covid and then change during a, a conflict and and some of that's going to you know uh could just now continue into mainstream so the speed of getting things implemented and the expectation of the end users is changing dramatically
0: Absolutely. And I'd be remiss if I didn't put a plug in for your, your company, Dragonfly, which is on the CSC listed oh, under uh, DPRO. <laughs> That's kind of why we're here. But it, like I said, that intersection of public markets and entrepreneurship. Uh, I'm going to make a little bit of a hard pivot here just for a minute. And maybe it's not so hard of a pivot, but we talk a lot about, uh, you know, we were talking about um, Currency Works, which is now MetaWorks, another listed company that you uh, uh, are, I believe, chairman of. Is that? I correct? am. Yes. yes. Yeah.
1: Right. And co
0: founder. And now a very, I guess, a catalytic event this year was the fall of ftx um if you don't know about it you can read about it anywhere on the internet <laughs> it's probably been the biggest business story since made off i'd say if not uh around you know the 2008 fall of the market and um not to get into too many details around that but crypto itself and and it, its own right has had a pretty rough year and i know you've been working in that realm somewhat maybe just i just want to get your if we're going to use uh you know the parlance of this conversation 10,000 foot view of, of the crypto space and digital currency and decentralization decentralized uh, uh, currencies you know where do you, where do you see the world in a post FTX world I think it's a new reality and I know you're you've had your foot in it what's what's your mindset on that uh, space and what are you trying to do in it
1: yeah, so the the FTX story, in our opinion, is really the culmination of you know what needed to happen uh, in this right. uh, in this space, and uh, it would be the equivalent of what's going you know in the drone industry, the Ukraine. You know, FTX is is in the crypto uh, space, or, and, and there's a lot of things that led, led up to that, or, or the the precursor to that. But the reality, uh, well, our reality uh, has always been that uh, a decentralized platform that is regulated is the only thing that's going to mainstream. So right from the very beginning, when we started building our own proprietary blockchain, it is a non-public blockchain. The idea was that we could provide decentralized infrastructure for Fortune 5000 companies that want to use the advantages or need to use the advantages of blockchain. But there's, by the time you get up to your, your CFO or your chief legal officer or your compliance folks, there's no way that they are going to let the outside world and developers, you know, have a decentralized, it, it, you can't regulate it, right? You, you There no. needs to be right. And so, you know, we saw this um, in particular, uh, you know, in the gaming industry, uh, as an example, uh, in the early 2000s, where we saw a lot of offshore casinos emerge, we saw a lot of um, uh, payment systems emerge. But it was really a fringe industry. Like it seemed to have like impressive numbers, uh, but it was a fringe industry. And so we were involved and helped build out a a company that was totally compliant in the space. And eventually it became the largest mover of money in in the gaming world. Because it worked with regulators, it was, you know, before anybody knew what KYC, you know, know your client and any money laundering law was, we built systems that were all about that so, so that if a gamer want a gambler, excuse me, wanted to come on and use an offshore casino that they could but they just had to follow the rules. And for years, we, we were just this nascent little, you know. Not on everybody's you know shoulder that cared about until the regulators until the, and and what what a lot of people don't understand is that the regulation is not put in place as oversight for some conspiracy theory. Most regulation, whether it was in, in the payment space that we're talking about, or whether it's you know in in crypto today, or or in the fintech industry today, isn't driven by regulators trying to control. It's driven by consumers trying to be safe. So most of these regulations in there and the friction that's there actually isn't friction because what it does is it provides confidence to a, a consumer as an example that I know I'm not going to have a chargeback or, or that, that, um, that you know if there's fraud on my card, I'm protected. If I didn't know that I wouldn't use my card as much so, th- so the economy isn't as big. And, and I think that a lot of the crypto space was you know uh, was young and a lot of the crypto space didn't didn't really grasp the fact that the regulation right, is a really important part of mainstreaming a market. And I think that's what we'll see now is, is actually an increased adoption of decentralized because it is much more secure. It is much more flexible. It has all these advantages, but it will have a regulatory oversight uh, on it. And so I, I think, you know, it's still going to take a couple of years, but, th- but this is the beginning of the mainstream of, of digital currencies and, and Bitcoin and the rest of it. This is just a natural progression that had to happen.
0: Course, I mean, look at all the scams that are cash based or obviously credit card fraud and all the insurance that goes behind that. Um, there's gotta be a better way, right? <laughs> it just has to be. So if, if some of these tools can be used to uh intermediate or disintermediate uh, you know, what's currently out there that doesn't work super effectively, uh, you know, the capital markets and the banking systems aren't perfect. Um, this this is obviously part of the solution. And I will also add that Metaworks platforms listed on the CSE under MWRK again, there's a lot to digest and and just going back to the last two years as an entrepreneur, uh, maybe what was, if you can just share with those listening, what was one of your big insights about either being an entrepreneur that you've learned or relearned, um, through all this stuff that you've been through, or perhaps something as an investor that, uh, you know, came to light, um, always have to just try to pick people like yourselves brains to, uh, to learn a bit more about, uh, the things uh, I should know as both an investor and an investor. Uh,
1: well, I think there's uh, you, you know one thing that uh, that I, that's, that's confirmed for me as an entrepreneur is that uh, you know I don't do this for the money. That is for sure, for the <laughs> lack of stress because uh, you know it's been a it's been a really lean few years, uh, a couple of years for for a lot of people, and so you know the the entrepreneur mindset is is really uh, one that you know if you think about Maslow's hierarchy of needs you know, the, you know, which isn't perfect by any stretch, but, you know, the first thing you do is you look after your base, you know, security. And then you, you know, and then you start kind of looking after, you know, your shelter and then you, you know, eventually you kind of get up to self-awareness, right. Mm. And, and, you know, creating something bigger than yourself. I mean, that's the higher, and, and, you know, what happens in the entrepreneurial mindset is that triangle is turned completely upside down. And so, you know, what we do as entrepreneurs is we're really Honestly, we care more about creating something bigger than ourselves. Because if we didn't, we wouldn't sleep on couches. We wouldn't, you know, have the stress of families and no paychecks and making payrolls and finding money and developing product and uh, working with customers. And, it, you know, it's just re- it's relentless. And so if if anything of the last couple of years has reaffirmed to me is that, you know, that the the entrepreneurs that, you know, that I like to follow are entrepreneurs. They do it. They, they don't do it for the money. I mean, hopefully that's a big payoff and all the rest of it. But the reality is they do it because they're doing it something because they want to create something bigger than themselves. And I think that's the essence of of, of entrepreneurialism. And it's the essence of, of what happens when necessity breaks out. So when you see things like COVID or when you see things like war or disasters or environmental challenges or problems, you know, you get people in there. The most successful people, in my mind, or the people I like to follow, are the ones that are solving the problems because they want to solve the problems. And then, you know, the economics that will come out of that are absolutely tremendous. But, um, but, but I, I know that when I start focusing on, you know, how much money I got to make, you know, I get demotivated and, uh, and no matter how tough it is, if I focus on the problems that I get to solve and the people that get to be helped, you, you know, things just, it, you know, they, they, they work out. So, um, it's a, it's a tough gig, but, uh, <laughs> man, there's nothing else. There's nothing else like it.
0: No, when it works, it's a rush. And, and obviously, as you said, you know, the carrot stick, if it's just, you know, cash money, it's uh, that won't that won't get you through the hard times. Absolutely not. And even see the biggest entrepreneurs in the world like Mark Zuckerberg or Elon Musk. I mean, they do things that completely make you shake your head from a, you know, corporate perspective. But you go, that's how they're wired. I mean, you Those know, are these- such great examples,
1: James. I, like they, they they don't need to take the risks. They, no. But of course they do. Right?
0: <laughs> no it's 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 wiring and and you know we, we get, on another episode we'll talk about what you have to do and the wiring goes haywire. but it's <laughs> the way it is <laughs> and that's the way it's got to be uh or else you know we don't create new things new beautiful right. things and uh in your case we don't save lives so uh with that cameron i just want to thank you again for being on our inaugural show of 2023 it's hard to believe we're already here it's the future and uh wish you mm-hmm. nothing but success this year and, and beyond uh thanks yeah, again for, for so. being a part of the family and uh we'll see you soon
1: It's an honor. Thanks, James.
0: Thank you again for listening to the Exchange for Entrepreneurs podcast, a proud presentation from CNSX Markets, Inc., operator of the Canadian Securities Exchange. As a reminder, the viewpoints on this show do not reflect those of the exchange and are solely those of the guests and do not constitute investment advice. For more information about the exchange and services and listed companies, please visit www.thecsc.com. Until the next show, thank you for listening, and don't forget to hit the like or subscribe button on your favorite listening platform. Thank you so much.